This is Sidewalk Monastery, a podcast about where people talk to each other and listen and hear each other's stories. In this special two-part episode, we talk to George Wolfe, saxophonist, Yamaha, Yamaha concert, concert artist, and Professor Emeritus from Ball State University. If you have not listened to the previous episode, please turn this one off and listen to part one of Sidewalk Monastery with George Wolf. Please enjoy this interview. into a nonverbal level, a, co- a non-cognitive but the aesthetic, which is a, a, a level in which we're all connected. Mm-hmm. It takes you to a different mm-hmm. place, mm-hmm. sort of a neutral right. place that mm-hmm. we all right. right. almost like a together. different state of mind. Yes, yes. Well, yes. well there's that shift. That's what I'm talking about, the shift yes. from the cognitive to the intuitive, from the rational mm-hmm. to the non-rational, from the... Head to the heart, exactly. so to speak. That's that's yeah, right. that mm-hmm. definitely yeah. palpable, if you will, mm-hmm. when you were playing. Yeah. So you're 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 an actor. So so what I try now than, yeah. than you probably ever were well, since you're retired. And well, that's I right. Know I, your I, music is very very I, much a part of this. Lately, see, uh, I've been working with a pianist from Israel named Gaylee Gertzenson, and she's a graduate of the Cincinnati Conservatory with a, a doctorate in performance. Piano performance. She's also the head of the uh, um, Jewish Studies program now. She's from Israel. She's head of the Jewish Studies program on Ball State. She's done a lot of research on composers that there's, whose music had been banned during the Holocaust, but mm-hmm. banned by the Nazis and died in the Holocaust. And uh, for ex- so we have we put together a program. One of one of the uh, she contacted me because there's a composer named Shulov, Erwin Shulov, who wrote a piece called Hot Sonata, and it's for saxophone, and it's influenced by jazz. It was written in about 1930, in 1930. And, uh, uh, and he died in a concentration camp. Um, uh, he died of tuberculosis. He, he, um, and uh, so, so this particular piece, you know, he had a couple strikes against it. First of all, the composer was Jewish mm-hmm. back in the 1930s, and that didn't help. And secondly, it was influenced by jazz, which is an Af- uh, has, comes out of the African American experience. Mm-hmm. So it was repressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I play that piece in, in, in this program that we've put together. We've, we've done it several times, and it's very pertinent now. Again, this is the connection. This is this is relationship. It's it's pertinent now because of the anti-Semitism that's been. Mm-hmm. That's been rising yes. in, 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 the, in the hate kind of rhetoric that's been rising in the United States. Uh, and so uh, so that piece, it, the, the process of performing it has a lot of meaning for me now because it connects, you see. And it's a part of, it's one way, that the way I have of making a statement, speaking out against white supremacy and, and anti-Semitism. And we gave this, 
concert. And, and so the pianist, uh, Gaylit, performs a couple of pieces by other composers who were uh, who, who, who killed in the Holocaust. And, and we, then we conclude the program with uh, uh, the last movement of a piece by Pavel Haas, which was originally for oboe, but I play the last movement on soprano saxophone. And it's an interesting piece because it has, it uses as underlying uh, material, melodic material, a Christian uh, hymn, which happened to be, which happened to have very, very, it's, 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 it's really very uh, nationalistic to the Czech people. Mm -hmm. Although it comes from, a, it's a Christian hymn, but it really, if you if you're, were, were living in Czechoslovakia at that particular time, you connect it as a nationalistic kind of hymn. Uh, and Russian or, or Eastern European Russian composers often do this. You know, if you listen to uh, um, Tchaikovsky's uh, 1812 Overture, you hear the French national anthem, and you hear the, the piece from uh, from the, or the Russian uh, tradition or whatever, anthem, and they're coming together, and and eventually the the, the French lose. And the other, because the 1812 overture was not written for the War of 1812 in America, it was written. It was written as a protest against the commemoration against the uh, invasion, Napoleon's invasion of, of Russia, which failed because they did the scorched earth thing and they couldn't. They had to. Anyway, uh, they so so they defeated Napoleon. So it was written. It was written for that person. So. It's, I, I mention that because ironically, you, you go to the Fourth of July concert, and, and <laughs> orchestras are always playing the 1812 yeah. overture, and everybody thinks it has nothing to do with American history. <laughs> Anyways, but but that's an example of how these themes, uh, nationalistic themes, are used in these compositions to show, uh, you know, a battle or a victory of one side over the other. So, so that's that's what he draws upon. He draws on this particular hymn, which is. Uh, which has meaning, nationalistic meaning to the Czech people, and uh, I play it on soprano saxophone, and it ends very triumphantly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start that way, but it ends very triumphantly. It starts with uh, it more of a lament kind of. You know. And he is in Ter he, he was in Terrasin. Pavel Haas was in Terrasin, then took then taken to Auschwitz, and according to Glade, he, he he died in Auschwitz. So, anyways. Um, when you hear these stories of these composers and you hear the music, it's very moving, and here it connects with uh, the, the, the political, social situation at the time, it really has an impact, much more of an impact than just playing the piece and not knowing that, or playing the piece as an academic exercise. That's mm -hmm. this way. And so that's what I try to gravitate to, and that's what's fine. That's been me meaningful in my own uh, performing career. We're doing the. We did the piece at, at in, in Greencastle, Indiana, for their summer chamber music series, and we got a we got a standing ovation for the program, and we're doing it in uh, we're doing it in Virginia this uh, uh, this April. We're doing it in Portland, in Portland, Indiana, uh, this March, and so you know we have a lot of uh, opportunities, and it's a time the timing is good because of the political social political circumstances. In needs. the United States, mm -hmm. yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we need need that voice mm -hmm. to call out these uh, yeah. systems and mm -hmm. the hatred and, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, even the, uh, the anti, especially the anti-Semitism mm -hmm. that seems mm -hmm. to be rising and mm -hmm. more uh, passe. Yes, that's right. More yes. accepted, you know, yes. and it's not good. Yeah, right.
So that's how. Yeah. So so I mean, I look at art. You can do you can perform uh, for education for for entertainment reasons. I mean, I can just play a piece and it's for entertainment reasons. Okay, and then you can also do it for educational reasons. And that's where mm -hmm. you talk about the history of the piece, the composer, mm -hmm. or how it's composed, something like that. And then you can choose a piece, choose music which uh, makes a social political statement. Mm -hmm. And that's where I I try to go. And even when, even when I did, for example, uh, I did a Christmas. I put together a Christmas program, uh, which I did for a, a Unity Church in Anderson, uh, and it was. A, I took a lot of Christmas carols and turned them into jazz tunes and explained how you did that, you know. And, and so it was educational. That was educational, and I got people. They sing me sing "Deck the Halls with Boughs of Holly." Instead of doing "Fa la 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 la." We, we did scat singing, you know, you know, you know, those kind of things. And so that was that was entertaining, but it was also educational. <laughs> but then I played the hymn, Wonder as I Wander. First line. <clears throat> I wonder as I wander out under the sky, you know. And uh, it, the concept of, of mystery of incomprehensible mystery has been very much a part of religion. Mm -hmm. I, and, uh, but there's a, so there's a difference between mystery, a mystery which can be solved, something you don't know, but if you yeah. get, the, you get the amount of data, you get the right evidence, and you can draw the conclusion. Is there, yeah. did microbial life ever exist on Mars? Right. That's a mystery yeah, yeah. we don't know. There seems to be some indication it might be possible. Mm -hmm. Water right. there and so forth. Right. But we can solve that mystery. We can go to Mars. We can keep excavating if we find the evidence, and we conclude one way or another. <clears throat> but then there's the mystery, which th things we do know um, under our current models. But once we know, we, there's something about it which is incomprehensible. An example is the uh, astrophysicist saying that the entire universe, this huge entire universe, 13.5 billion years ago, was compressed into a singularity which is smaller than a proton. And that gave rise to what was called the Big Bang. Or the, mm -hmm. And not only was all matter and energy compressed into that, but also time and space. So if you look at a, you know, when they try to, try to show the Big Bang on a TV screen, you know, you'll see a little dot and then all of a sudden it explodes and fills up the screen. That's a misrepresentation because there was no screen. There was nothing. The space, yeah. space time existed within the singularity. And so, so how, how can you comprehend how the entire, all matter and energy in the universe, which is hugely vast, and time and space as well, how can you comprehend that that is contained within a singularity like that, in a small way at the beginning? You know how we don't we aren't we aren't used to comprehending how time can speed up and slow down depending on this depending on the intensity of the gravitational field and how fast I mean all these kind of things. And then we try to find our place in all that. That's right. Yes. So <laughs> so so you had, and, and you have the scientists admitting this. I mean in in the first the first episode of Cosmos that Carl Sagan did, mm. he's looking he's sitting on the edge of the ocean he's looking out at the cosmos and he's saying he says we are. Uh, standing on the shores of the grandest of mysteries. Right. Thomas, Father Thomas Keating, I point out in my book, a Christian contemplative refers yeah. to God. 
is the ultimate mystery. Why are these two people? Sagan's supposed to be a, uh, an atheist. <laughs> Thomas Keating is obviously a Christian contemporary. They're using the same language. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So there's a common the there's a common ground here in in, in, in this, this whole idea of incomprehensible mystery. So I started to explain that as I played this hymn. I wonder as I wonder. I don't feel like I just think of Carl Sagan looking out into the cosmos. You know. Uh, and how this is bringing together the contemplative spiritual tradition and the, uh, the science, uh, scientific view. And I think you've and seen that sometimes <coughs> even like uh, within contemplative spirituality, you know, quantum physics. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mentioned the uh, non-dual mm -hmm. idea, non-dual thing, non-dual consciousness. And, and like I say, you, 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 if you're going to look at a particle, subatomic particle, and see it as both, mm -hmm. A particle and a wave. You you got to be a non-dual thinker, whether you're exactly, yeah. whether you're a Christian or an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or an atheist or whatever agnostic. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You have to embrace that mystery. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Another thing is that we when we when we look at uh, this whole idea of nonviolent resistance, if I can go back to that, yeah. and uh, how, how you choose strategies which make a political statement and. We, which create what we call good, what was called good trouble. Good trouble. Who's yes. the, you know, the senator uh, who, who used that phrase, which I like. There's a, there's a, uh, uh, there's a, uh, <coughs> yeah. Say that again. John, John Lewis. Yeah, John Lewis. Yeah. There's a uh, passage in the Gospel, I guess the Gospel of John, where this fellow is, is, uh, well, he can't, he can't walk. You know, he's uh, paralyzed, and. Uh, He's standing. He's just sitting by this pool, and this pool is supposed to have healing qualities. If he could just get to the pool, he could he could be healed. And but someone always beats him to it. You got to be the first one there, in, in, according to the passage. And he never gets there. And so Jesus comes along and sees him, and, <clears throat> and he says, "I'm trying to get to the pool, and I can't." And, he, and, and Jesus says, "Take up your bed and walk." He, he performs a miracle and heals him. Okay, and. Now, most people, everybody I have run into sees that passage and think, oh, how wonderful. There's a miracle here, you know, and this is just an example of, you know, and that, that leads to all sorts of issues. In the, because he did this on the Sabbath, so that led to all sorts of issues. In the, but, the, but what people miss is what Jesus said. He said, take up your bed and walk. Now, that is a violation of, the rules of the Sabbath. Yeah, can't work. You that can't work, work. You can't carry yeah. your, your. Now he could have said, Jesus could have said, you can rise up and walk now, but don't pick up your bed because if you do, you'll be violating the Sabbath and I don't want to get you in trouble with mm -hmm. uh, So, you know, walk and you can tell people about it, but don't pick up your bed. But no, he intentionally said, take up your bed and walk. See, that's nonviolent resistance. That mm -hmm. is, he was creating. Good trouble. <laughs> this guy is going to, he says, I, wanna, I want you to create some good trouble. Pick up the bed so there's that clear, uh, you're, you're, you're clearly showing that this, this uh, rule of particular Sabbath is, is, is uh, somewhat of an obsession or it's not, you know. Well, the other thing and, about and, that and so, passage mm -hmm. that I think of mm -hmm. is there are systems. There are rules. Yeah, that's right. And the rule was you have to be the first in the water, mm -hmm. you have to be in the water, and how important that was. 
<clears throat> the rules so exactly. as the Sabbath you have to follow mm -hmm. rules mm -hmm. and when when Jesus comes and says that yes he's breaking all those rules good trouble but Jesus is also described as the living water mm -hmm. and yeah it's like you don't need that water over there yeah uh -huh. this water will work too mm -hmm. you know himself mm -hmm. Jesus himself this water mm -hmm. will work that violates all all of the Jewish rules mm -hmm. um, yes and, about and, breaking everything I mean that that was something that in the Gospels you see a lot of breaking all of these rules um, all for good yeah Gandhi right. and mm -hmm. King mm -hmm. and many others mm -hmm. have those are those, uh, kind of those rules are can be rules of oppression. Exactly. They can be rules, the of, rules of oppression. Yeah. They can be rules that because people that like oppressed. him they, could that. never access. Exactly, because he was never going to get to that pool. That's right. Mm -hmm. He was all you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. he would he would be trapped. But, and if anybody would have helped him, they'd be working, especially if it was done on the set. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. even Jesus has broken the rule in that sense by healing him. You know, because the water has healed him, breaking but, all the rules. They are definitely good trouble. All of that yeah. is good trouble. And, and, and that's a good example and, and, and for us to, to, to see and live by. Popular religion tends to miss all that. Yes, yes it does. It tends to be wrapped up in ceremony and uh, uh, ways that people are just sort of used to thinking about things. And another example is you hear a lot, the word apocalypse, for example. Uh, what it really means is uh, awakening or unveiling. Mm -hmm. Unveiling, that's all it means. Doesn't mean war. It doesn't mean earthquakes. Yeah. See what I'm saying? Um, and yet, what do you hear on TV all the time? Uh, this, this, the, the coronavirus was apocalyptic, or this a huge earthquake, or um, storms came through, or whatever. It was apocalyptic. See, I mean, people are using the term <laughs> in this popular way, yeah. which isn't really what it means. That's right. Right. No. So you have. Right. If you, if you, this, this idea of uh, unveiling or awakening, you know, if you make the shift from a, from a Newtonian view of the universe to uh, Ein, post -Ein, or Einstein mm -hmm. forward, you know, yeah. right? that is an apocalypse. I mean, you are, you are, something's being unveiled there. Yeah. And what's being unveiled is the assumptions you make in, about reality, yeah. about time being a constant and so mm -hmm. forth. And, that's that uh, paradigm well, shift. It's a paradigm shift. Yeah. That's what. That's yeah. really. If I, I see. In fact, I point that out in here. That apocalypse is really a, a kind of an ancient. It's more accurately, more accurate to look at it as an ancient word for a paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, the the theory of evolution when it came along, it was a big paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, was it ever? Still yeah. is for still some people. Are still can't yeah. accept it. it. It's, it's still, it's still <laughs> an issue for some. But. Yeah. See, so. That's important, and, and, and a lot of times the paradigm shift requires us, well, it, it to, to let go of our attachments to the oh, way we're used yeah. to viewing, mm -hmm. or, or rules, or whatever, and uh, well, start, a, start afresh, you know? Mm -hmm. and that's, that's, that's a yeah, and that's what we thing. hope that, uh, for instance, uh, our conversation mm -hmm. here at Sidewalk Monastery helps people mm -hmm. to be aware mm -hmm. of the attachments in their life, mm -hmm. um, one of my goals is not only to you know, give people a voice, but that they see, but people see through the conversations that that relational mm -hmm. connection that is so valuable uh, to our well-being 
and that we can begin to see some of these things. Oh, you know, that aha yeah, moment. In a like, new way. Oh, yeah, yeah the yeah. paradigm shift. Gee, duh, why didn't I think of that? Or, or the way, you know, the, the connection between the non-rational and the rational, that, that sense of balance that's needed and to let go. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's one thing out of Buddhism that has been so impactful in people's lives is once they understand the ideas around attachments mm -hmm. and how holding on to things is causing well, the suffering that we yeah, all yeah. experience in this world. And, and those kind of things, um, you know, well, well this is when good we, trouble yeah, really does help us break those attachments. Through that, yeah. And, and, and well, this is one thing which I... I, I when I got the opportunity to be the Green Party candidate for Secretary of State, I, I liked the opportunity because I knew I wasn't going to win mm -hmm. in terms of winning the election. Mm -hmm. But I, I was in a position where I could bring up all sorts of topics that the other mainstream, mainline parties mm -hmm. didn't want to talk about. Yep. Yeah, exactly. They didn't want to talk about whether or not we should legalize marijuana. You know? right. Right. They, they didn't want to talk about necessarily same-day voter registration. Because, because it would change, it would change way too yeah. much. And, and that was not a topic which yeah. was there. Um, so I had a whole list of things which, uh, uh, which, which really had an impact on, uh, on, the, on the conversation of the, uh, of the campaigns. Right. Right. Um, and that's and, the and, example and, of taking everything <laughs> in of who we are mm -hmm. into the world that we live in mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Whether it's running for state office, or um, you bring bananas to a community meal uh, that you and I both work out on, mm -hmm. um, and the, it's it it the, that whole experience is stepping out and taking mm -hmm. who we are into what we do on the daily basis. The mm -hmm. the little things, how how we're viewing what we're seeing, how we respond mm -hmm. to things. Mm -hmm. You know, like we were saying about language and the different ways of doing violence, um, calling it out, mm -hmm. you know? One, one, so one, particular, one particular structure in the state of Indiana, which is quite oppressive or, 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 or needs to be changed, is the ballot access. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. uh, right now, it's very difficult for a candidate to get on ballot, an independent candidate or a third-party candidate, especially if you're running for a statewide office. When I was running, I needed to get 26,000 signatures, more than 26,000 signatures, in order to get my name on the ballot. For a statewide office. For a statewide office, for Secretary of State. Of course, you have to get more than that because a lot of people are careless in the way they sign. So mm -hmm. now, because it's a certain percentage of, the la of, of, of how many people vote in the last election, presidential election, so now uh, it's, it's 46,000. Because more people vote. They made it more difficult. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. Um, and, and there are other aspects about the ballot access which affect. So, so I, 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 I worked with the, uh, this common ground, I found, I worked with the uh, uh, chair of the Libertarian Party, uh, other independent candidates, and we've, we've put together a, a ballot access lawsuit which is now in pending and going to go to trial, going to go to court. We have a, our, our attorney is from the Center for Competitive Democracy in Washington, D.C., Oliver Hall. He's won cases in other states. Very nice. Now, when you think of Green Party and Libertarian Party, you would think, <laughs> well, how can, those, how can those two ever come together? 
right? You have a common thing. Yeah, right, right. You have a common interest. Well, right. we found exactly. common ground on that. Yeah. And I actually, they, there was an effort in the legislature to try to, the, the, the Libertarian Party has ballot access, but they, there was an effort in the uh, legislature to try to get them to have to petition in order to run, in order to put a candidate up for governor. They don't have to do that now. But there was an effort to try to do that through a kind of a sneaky way of putting putting together a uh, uh, piece of legislation which they called uh, nomination of candidates, which really wasn't. So anyway, so I went and testified against it. I alerted the libertarian folks of what was really going on. They raised hell. <laughs> As a result, <laughs> the, the, the the legislation was dropped. Right, Never right. Before. But see now there, yeah. So now that they've come together, the libertarians have come together with the Green Party, as well as the independent candidates, and we put together this lawsuit, which is which the Secretary of State's office tried to have it dismissed, but the judge denied that, and the judge is a Trump appointee. <laughs> so you see how see how this works. You see how, but you have to be creative. Those those everyday examples. Yeah, you have to be creative in the way you approach. George, we really appreciate your time today having a conversation with us. It's, it's been wonderful to, to talk and, and also to, to you know, share some of those uh, ideas about how we become more aware of the everyday things. And certainly that example of your running for Secretary of State, uh, it sounds so non-connecting, but when you break it down, it, it's about all, all the things that we do mm -hmm. and how it all connects and and um, the, what you were attempting to accomplish by being in the campaign and, and, and those kind of things. And, um, and I know, uh, you know, we occasionally work together at the community meal gathering grace and connecting with people who generally don't have a voice in the community and, and uh, recognizing them and honoring them and certainly respecting uh, dignity, uh, all those little things. Uh, are part of all of this greater um, relationship that we're talking about. And uh, so I re really just want to say thank you for all that you do and what, uh, what you bring to the table and, and what you help us try to be more conscious about. Um, and, uh, well, I just want to thank you for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. you know, not very seldom am I given the opportunity to just ramble on for an hour, you know? <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, George. Here, here's, you know, I, we had seen you come in and we had been talking to you and Marky told me a little bit about you. And I was like, and why is he not on the podcast? You know, it's like, I was like, you know, this seems like the, the perfect you know, man we'd want to have on the podcast. So, um so we've been kind of talking about it for a little while, and we, we kind of took a hiatus ourselves. This is going to be our first real episode back. Uh, for will be you. Year, yeah. yeah, for the yeah. new year. So, but I do want to say I appreciate you being on. Uh, it, it's It's been great. Uh, I, lo I love what you got to say. It's been uh, very enlightening uh, and interesting and fun. Can I, can I conclude with reading a couple poems? Yes. Go for it. Please yes, do. please. All right. Um, this first poem relates to the fact that I'm a musician, okay? Mm -hmm. and, but it includes a lot of neo-transcendentalist images. Okay. By that I mean metaphors taken from science and nature 
which is at post-Sedonian or from Einstein forward. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm using the term I here. In both these poems, you know, there's the individual I, mm -hmm. and in Indian philosophy, there's also the cosmic I. Mm -hmm. The I that uh, speaks, uh, speaking from the, uh, the absolute or the mm -hmm. grand underlying ocean of consciousness. Which ground is, of all being. Ground of mm -hmm. being, ground of being. Mm -hmm. And this, so that's, this is the I. It's not my individual I. It's the I, the cosmic I. I began singing the moment creation breathed. Whirling melodies set to the meters of heartbeats and quasars. Heard only when the ego sleeps. I began singing before there was darkness, while time still slumbered between the future and the past. My drone is the first parcel in the endless curve of space. Come, sing with me. Close your eyes and lips and follow my song to its sacred source where sound and light dance together beneath the golden rays of knowing, trying their best to awaken you from history's dream. Beautiful, thank you. Okay. So that's the first one. And then the final one I'll read here is, uh, this was inspired by Thich Nhat Hanh. Thich Nhat Hanh mm -hmm. wrote a book Living Buddha, Living Christ, or yes, but this is another way. This was before that. It was um, peace in every step. Okay, and he talks a lot about thinking deeply, perceiving deeply. Mm -hmm. So I took that idea of thinking deeply and, and applied it to all the senses and so forth. And that was what inspired the poem. Listen deeply. I am quieter than silence. Look deeply, I am closer than the eye. Dream deeply, and you will perceive my veil. Sleep deeply, yet I remain awake. Breathe deeply, and I will settle your mind. Sing deeply, and you will know my heart. Turn away from the senses so I can draw you near, absorb you into my being. Meditate deeply and you will know me as a sightless newborn kitten knows its mother. Drink deeply and I will extinguish your thirst. For I am wellspring and ocean and the primal waters from which new creations are born. Try to confine me, and I will escape from my tomb. Ascribe me a name, and divisions will arise among you. For I am the Lord beyond the name and form, the everlasting source of light and sound, of thought and breath. Quieter than silence, closer than the eye. Thank you very much, George. Um, it's been wonderful just listening to you riff 
for uh, a little over an hour here and um, it's been uh, really awesome and great. Uh, we will be returning uh, hopefully in a couple weeks here with another episode. I'm not quite sure what we're going to be doing on that one, but uh, again, thank you very much and thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sidewalk Monastery. If you would like to reach us, we can be reached at sidewalkmonastery at gmail.com. Again, that email address is sidewalkmonastery at gmail.com. Or we can be reached on Facebook under Kelly Tagg and Marky Oliver. Thank you and have a great day.